Just start a little brief little intro here, then we'll I'll pass it off to you. But I, I do want to yeah thank everybody for coming up here today here for another episode of uh, Junior Resource Investing. This is a podcast dedicated to deepening your understanding of the junior resource sector and exciting plays within it, such as Invictus Energy. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm joined by my special host, uh, Mark, once again, who helped me on this last, our last interview with, with Scott, which went so well. Um, exciting news out recently for Invictus. There's a string of news releases that Scott's going to talk us through here. For I, I'm, everybody here, I'm sure that you are aware of, of the Invictus story, but for those of you who aren't, uh, they initially their, their first well is upcoming spud right out just in a matter of weeks away, targeting Mukuyu Prospect, targeting 4.3. Uh, billion oils barrels oil bill, billion barrel oil equivalent in a single drill. Uh, but this this is not about that today. Actually, the big news right now is that the, there's a brand new official expansion of the bland package uh, to include the Kaborabasa basin margin play. And so that's what the focus of this will be today. Is that and of course other recent news releases. So the way this is going to work is that Scott will start off the conversation with a bit of a presentation, and there will be room for questions afterwards. Um, I'll just ask you that you feel free to type them into the chat. And if you want to actually speak with Scott, you'll just have to request to unmute your mics. And this is going to be my gentle reminder here once more that just uh, if you do have your mic unmuted or somehow have your video on, 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 please just turn those off now for everybody else's sake. Otherwise, Scott, uh, no one here is here to listen to me talk, right? We're all here for, for this pretty exciting update here. So I'll, I'll pass it off to you. Thank you once again for coming on. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and Mark, and thank you for having me back once again. Um, great, great to be back. And, you know, we've got some fantastic news that we've just put out this morning with this um, additional acreage that we have um, put out uh, and, and along with this very exciting basin margin play that we're looking at. So I'm just going to, um, to run through a quick recap of um, of where we sit, and then I'll take you through this this new um, this new acreage and basin margin play, and where we think um, that that things sit. So we are located in the Kaborabasa Basin, which is in the north of Zimbabwe. Um, it's an area that was previously explored by Merbel in the early '90s. They did a huge amount of work um, and really uh, focused on the Permian play, um, which. Although promising, uh, mobile thought was more gas prone as opposed to oil prone, and there was no structured market for gas in the early 90s in that part of the world. Some onshore discoveries in Mozambique um, hadn't been developed by that stage, and so mobile saw very little point in trying to discover more gas. However, fast forward uh, 30 years, and uh, there's a burgeoning uh, gas and energy market in the region, and we see multiple ways to, to monetize gas. So. When we looked at this opportunity, we really liked it. Mobile had de-risked it to a certain extent with a fantastic data set that they picked up that we inherited. But we've taken it, um, you know, taken the baton from there and really advanced this um, this project um, tremendously over the last few years, and, and particularly now with this new seismic data set that we acquired last year. And I'll run through that in a second. So uh, Makuyu uh, Prospect, the one with the well that we'll be drilling first, is the largest undrilled prospect in onshore Africa. Um, it is 4.3 billion barrels of oil equivalent, consisting of 20 trillion cubic feet and 845 million barrels of conventional gas condensate. So an enormous target, seven stacked um, reservoirs that will be um, that will be testing with one single well. So a very unique um, opportunity to unlock a very uh, large resource uh, 
potentially. The second well that we'll be drilling is uh, the Baobab Prospect, and that's in the new basin margin play that um, is analogous to some of the East African Rift string of pearls uh, discoveries. And I'll show you uh, some comparisons uh, in a second. It's something that we're really excited about. We've, we've matured it from um, its conceptual stage when we first had a look at the mobile data and when we looked at the configuration of the basin and we're thrilled at how it's turned out post the, um, post the seismic, it's even better than, than we'd hoped. So really excited about this new, this new acreage that we've, we've picked up and, and what's in it. Um, so that's the, you know, from a, from a technical perspective, um, really exciting, but again, the, the, the change has been in the above ground scene. Um, uh, so it's not, not the, the, the technical, um, or, or below ground potential that mobile were, uh, were concerned about. It was really more about the above ground situation. And that was a uh, political environment, which deteriorated in the, in the latter half of the Mugabe era, uh, but then also the, the lack of ability to commercialize it. So that has changed. Um, and now we have already uh, multiple offtake agreements in, in place um, in a success case for 1.2 trillion cubic feet over 20 years. That'll be the first great step, but we'll take it further from there. And there's a huge um, energy shortage in the region that we'll be able to, to make a dent in. We won't be able to solve it, but certainly, um, you know, we'll, we'll make, a, make a large contribution. So looking at where we are located, um, we're up in the Kaborabasa Basin here in the north of Zimbabwe. So this is the, the new license area. So this covers the conventional play fairway in the Kaborabasa Basin, further to the west uh, up here, and further to the east uh, over here. Uh, the outcrop comes up to surface, so that's not what we're targeting. We don't want to, you know, because it's not buried at the right depths to host uh, oil and gas. We want to target stuff that is uh, buried subsurface. So the conventional fairway lies in this, in this portion through here. There is some uh, additional potential in Kabora Basa uh, Basin in Mozambique, but this is now most of it's under the Kaborabasa Lake, where, where the basin's got its name from. So we're lucky to be ex exploring on the on the southern margin, where it's dry. We don't have um, we don't have any issues that they've had in in some of the other basins further north. We've been surrounded by a lot of um, a lot of notable companies who are um, you know, but Zimbabwe's been off the map for for the last twenty years from an EP perspective. One because of the above ground situation, but two also because that mobile data that um, they acquired and the studies had never been made public. Uh, and so the only reason that they came to light was because we went into the geological survey uh, in Harare, sat there, read the hard copy reports and um, you know, un un uncovered this trove of information uh, and potential that had been overlooked by everyone else. So the treasure map. Um, so we have been, um, until recently working in special ground 4571, which is this license through here. We put this application um, initially uh, in this area because this was where we could see that big anticline based on those old mobile paper sections, uh, seismic sections that were sitting in the geological survey. We obviously couldn't get access to, um, to the digital data uh, in the survey, but mobile left behind rolled up uh, or, or rolled up um, paper sections um, with interpretation on, and you know, the, this uh, Muzurabani anticline, which is the, the Makuyu prospect, stood out like the proverbial. So obviously, you know, we went and, and, um, and located the, um, the original license here. This 
in the when it was first applied for in 2005 was limited by the size in what was allowed to be um, to be applied for. Uh, 100,000 hectares were the limit, and so we you know we chose this area through here because that's really that all, all that we could see on the old mobile seismic. Once we started to so when Invictus picked this project up in in, in 2018, we then when it vectorized all the paper seismic sections. So the old mobile data, you can see the seismic lines here in, uh, in light blue, very widely spaced, 15 to 20 kilometer um, line spacing. And, um, you know, very, very sparse coverage, but we could see, see this anticline on um, line uh, seven, line 13 and line two on the old mobile data. But that was it. Um, but very big structure, very robust, wasn't going to go anywhere. And that's why we, we decided to, um, to put the license application over there. Then in, when we started to, to integrate all of the data, um, so you know, you're looking at individual paper sections, um, but when you put them together in, in, in a grid, so we, we digitized them and then um, did our own interpretation, we began to see some hints of this basin margin play through here. So, you know, remembering that it's only these um, these little hints that we could see, you know, just catching the tails of some of these um, these prospects through here. But we saw the potential. We and and then when we reprocessed the, the the mobile data uh, the following year when we finally got it, um, we could see a little bit more and 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 see these trap configurations setting up against this basin bounding fault through here. And you can see that in the light this light gray um, through here, that's the basin bounding fault. So the reason that it's called the string of pearls is because that's your string. And then these are the pearls that hang off of them. So that's where the, 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 the string of pearls nickname uh, comes from. So we saw, you know, we saw the hints and only very, very, you know, subtle hints, these tiny little closures that we could see through there, but we thought that there was a good chance that they would get bigger. Um, and so when we designed our Kaborabasa 2021 survey, the infill um, density that you see here was really to one pin down the Makuyu um, structure uh, to make it a little bit more robust, uh, give us a lot more certainty on, on the, um, the extent of the closure. Um, obviously, we had to wrap it uh, a little bit tighter um, because of the, the wide space data, so you've got a lot more uncertainty. So this was designed to, to um, optimize the drilling location for Makuyu 1, but also to mature the space and margin play, which we always thought was going to get better um, and, 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 and more defined. And, and the setup that we saw was similar to what we saw in the East Africa Rift system. So when we shot this data and we started to see it, see it come through, we were, you know, we were pretty pumped uh, and, it's, and it's turned out extremely well. We, we, we're so thrilled at how this has matured and evolved and really exciting to take something from a, you know, a play concept, a hint that we just saw very, very subtly um, in a handful of lines uh, of data to, to something that's been matured, you know, to a, a fantastic now portfolio of opportunities. And, you know, this out of the basin margin, we've got, you know, five of them that are drilled ready. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a fantastic um, effort by, the technical team to to recognize it, to design the program, um, and execute it, and, and we're thrilled at how it's turned out. Um, probably our one regret, though, from that seismic campaign is 
that at the back end of it, so we started from, from west to east, uh, is that we ran out of time and quite frankly, we ran out of money to, um, to push this further to the east. So we'd seen these big, big leads. It came out better um, in the, in the because re we reprocessed the mobile data again concurrently with the, with the CB21 survey so that it was con contractor consistent, data consistent, um, and processing consistent. So these leads um, turn out a lot better um, with that new round of processing. And again, you know, even, even just three years worth of, um, of advances in, in processing techniques um, ha has gathered uh, a lot more out of that, out of that mobile data set than, than even three years ago from the original reprocessing exercise. So we've got some really exciting leads here in the East, Masumu um, and Mapani, very, very large. Uh, very interesting to um, see these um, very interesting flat spots uh, that we can track all along this line, um, this line two, the old mobile uh, strike line, and um, something that we're definitely going to go back to um, and, um, and mature, and that could be done relatively inexpensively. Um, so, Ultimately, we've ended up with a fantastic portfolio. We've got a huge fairway uh, to play in. So this is roughly, you know, 90 odd kilometers uh, across here and um, an abundance of targets. Um, and so, yeah, we're, 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 we're really excited of how this has turned out. Um, I think one of the other things that I mentioned earlier as well is we knew from the, from the trap density, typical trap density size of, of these string of pearls, um, type plays is that they, you know, we'd have things hiding in between the mobile lines. And that's exactly what happened. You know, so we've got um, got Mukamba over here, which sits in between, um, you know, two of these lines through here. And so, uh, you know, exactly how we thought this would play out has has come to fruition, which is, which is always, you know, pleasing uh, to see. So now I'm looking at, um, at the targets, we are going to be drilling Makui one first. That's going to be drilled on uh, line nine, I think, line or ten. I can't remember. Um, and that's on the southern southern flank of Makui. That's a little bit quieter. Uh, the structure and this. The reason we've picked it, um, we've had a couple of new strike lines that we shot new data through here, which is pinned down the southern flank. If you look at the the previous, uh, and I'll go through that in a second, um, through the center of the structure here, it's very, very faulted, um, where you've had that crystal collapse, and particularly um, as you go further north. Uh, in the south, it's much quieter, um, and um, we can optimize the trajectory of that Makuyu one well to test all seven of those targets. So that's why we've picked this, this location. Um, with the basin margin, we had you know a pick of there were probably four initially that we picked um, that could have been the you know the first one that we drilled and ultimately we settled on on Baobab for a number of reasons. Um, but what this will do if either of these work is open up the running room in the in the remaining acreage. There are some independent um, new play types that we're working up as well. Um, you know, but those will come and we'll be able to, to calibrate that a little bit better once we've got um, some drilling data uh, and, and, um, and velocity data from, from the wells, which we'll be acquiring as part of the, the data acquisition program. So Makuyu went up first and then followed by Baobab. So Makuyu one is a much deeper well, three and a half uh, kilometers 
that we'll go down to uh, potentially deeper. If we can push down into the lower angwa, uh, it will really depend on, on drilling performance. Um, and then Baobab is a very simple vertical well. Um, and that is, uh, you know, roughly 2,000 meters, maybe 2,200. And that, um, that's, a, that's a relatively um, simple, um, simple well compared to Makuyu. So where we sit is, um, this is Exala's rig. 202, it's at the well site at the moment. We are in the final preparations uh, for drilling. We've got a couple of things outstanding um, from um, in terms of, uh, of space for, for maintenance that Exile has been, been uh, undertaking. The, the rig is sitting on zero rate at the moment um, because they've, they've carried out their maintenance plan. Typically, you take a rig once, um, once all of this is done, but uh, Exalo wanted to do their maintenance um, on our site because from a logistics point of view, it was it was much easier than doing it on Songa Songa Island in, in Tanzania. So um, so that is look, we've had we've had some delays and, and some of these are unavoidable. Um, but to be honest, it's it's probably served us well because we've had um, had a few delays with with uh, Baker Hughes importing some of their equipment as well. Um, and with these operations, you just need you know one piece of equipment. Um, to not to not be functioning or not working uh, or not have arrived that that holds you up and then you've got a rig sitting and waiting so um, you know this has um, in fact worked worked out to our benefit um, and uh, everything will be ready to go um, very very shortly and we'll we'll commence um, commence drilling Makuyu one which uh, is a hugely exciting prospect so twenty TCF and eight hundred and forty five million barrels um, of conventional gas condensate. Um, the largest undrilled prospect uh, onshore Africa, and uh, so from a from an execution point of view, um, we will be drilling through to about sixty meters with a conductor. That's um, that's twenty six inches. We'll then um, run the casing. We'll then drill the seventeen and a half inch hole down to uh, about six hundred and fifty seven hundred meters, um, and we'll cement that off through there with the thirteen and three eighths. Um, Casing will then begin drilling uh, this first whole section uh, of our um, zones of interest. So we estimate to get to, you know, the top of the 200, roughly 14 to 17 days in. Again, this all depends on, um, you know, on 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 how the um, how the drilling goes. Um, we'll then be drilling down through the through the 200 through the 250. Uh, 350 and 400 and down to just above uh, the top of the pebbly arcos so that will take you know 10 to 15 days to drill through this section here we'll then run a comprehensive wireline evaluation program that will include the um, you know traditional quad combo which is your gamma ray resistivity uh, density and neutron so that will provide us uh, with information on the on the lithology um, as well as um, the the resistivity will indicate um, different fluid types um, and the neutron density as well uh, assists in that. And then we will also, in a in a success case, be running a um, uh, what's called a, a formation tester. Um, so it's a, a reservoir formation testing tool, and that's got a probe um, that retracts from the side of the tool. So you lower it in, into the borehole, retracts from the side of the tool into the side of the uh, the borehole, and then it's got a pump, uh, which will pump out fluid. So, so using the probe that 
is attached to the side of the borehole, pump the fluid out from the, the, the reservoir, and you'll have, a, you'll have mud that invades into that section. So you have to clean all of that away to get a clean fluid sample of what's in the reservoir. It's then got, um, so that just disposes of whatever's pumped out and it's got a, um, uh, a waste outlet that will just pump it into the, into the borehole. And then it's got the ability to divert clean fluid samples, and we've got an onboard fluid analyzer uh, as well, so we can look at, and, and that's got a, uh, will tell you what the composition of that fluid is, um, and you'll be able to tell whether it's you know gas, uh, oil, uh, or water, um, and then it'll divert that. Uh, you've got the ability to divert that into an onboard sample chamber, and then those get those get uh, sealed, and then you bring them up to surface. So. That will take you know anywhere between um, sort of two to five days, depending on how many uh, how many zones we've got to sample, um, and then also how many zones of interest we've got to got to log uh, definitively. So and and then we'll we'll go and get some um, some mechanical sidewall core. So that's a little um, again another little tool that's that's got a, a drill bit that goes into the side of the, the borehole. We'll cut uh, a core, retrieve it back in, and put it in a in a, in a chamber. So that'll allow us to get um, actual um, rock samples and core samples from, um, from the side of the borehole to help us with, uh, we'll be able, we, we, we're getting the, 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 large, the large diameter ones, which will help us get porosity and, uh, and permeability information and, and help calibrate our log, um, our log data to that. So um, that's another three to five days. So we're looking at definitive results from this first uh, first whole section, so the 200 down to the 400, probably 25 to 30 days from when we spud. We will then uh, case and cement the, the section off, um, and then we'll drill the eight and a half inch hole through the pebbly arcos, uh, the upper angua, and then potentially the lower angua as well. That will be another, so weeks worth of, uh, of casing and cementing, and then another you know, again, 10 to 15 days worth of drilling, depending on, on, on how things go. And then again, um, another comprehensive wireline uh, formation uh, program for this bottom hole section. And that'll take us roughly through to, you know, sort of 50 days uh, post-drill. We've, we've given a range of sort of 45 to 60 days and, um, you know, best estimate of, of, of 50 um, at this stage. So that will be Makuyu 1. Um, Baobab will be similar. It'll just you know, really be this first whole section uh, through here that we're, um, that we're talking about. So again, you know, looking at that sort of 25 to 30 day um, type period for, uh, for Baobab. So onto the basin margin play. So if you, this is the, um, the map I showed earlier, and we're looking at this uh, red uh, box along the basin margin through here. So we've got, um, the string of pearls sitting along the basin bounding fault. And what we've done is just take a few of these random uh, lines through each of these uh, four prospects. You can see where they sit in relation to, um, to the rest of the lines um, over here. And really this is just to show you how these, um, the string of pearls works across, across the basin. So Baobab is the one that we'll be drilling. So you've got, um, um, probably I should start a little bit uh, further north. So this is this basement high through here. And that has been caused by a compressional event, which has um, pushed uh, the basin from north to south. 
and created that fold. And that's what's created that anticline in this, this big anticline in the middle of the basin through here. So you've got a little ridge um, in the basin that, that runs through and you've had some of that pressure exerted into this, um, into this basin margin area, which has created these little rollovers against this basin bounding fault uh, through here. So that basin bounding fault is um, this granitic basement that we have here. And you can see the, the shoulders of the, the rift valley and the escarpment. If you look at some of our images um, of, the, of the rig, you can see the, the escarpment in the, in the background. And that's how these, um, these rift valleys um, uh, are set up. And we've got this, this very flat valley floor through here, very, very um, gentle change in undulation. So change in elevation from west to east of about 40 to 60 meters across the basin. Very, very benign, very you know, fantastic conditions to work in. Um, and that's why our seismic campaign was you know, pretty easy um, in terms of its acquisition compared to a lot of interior Africa. So these, these string of pearls have been created by that compressional event that's caused these little gentle rollovers into the basin bounding fault and creates those, those closures. So Baobab um, in the very west, uh, we've got Kigelia, which is a small little lead uh, through here, um, but Baobab that we're focused on here. So we've got a number of horizons that have this little, um, this little rollover. Um, and then as we move further east, we've got Acacia, Marula, and, uh, and Mimosa. Now the, the, the basin margin is a much shallower play, uh, potentially more liquid prone because of um, its younger age and, and also potentially um, what we believe is uh, the source rock that's unique in the basin margin area. And it's this little wedge of sediment that you see through here. Now, this is only present along the basin margin. And that's because we had this huge big um, basement high that had already formed along this um, along the central axis through here, which, um, and you can you can start to see it in the corner through here, that's caused this onlap through here. Um, so this was never deposited anywhere further because it couldn't get up and over the over the um, this anticline, this dome that had formed already. So it's really settled just in this in this area through here. And this bright wedge through here, this looks a lot like what we see in um, in the Lockheed with the Lockhone shell, where you've got this bright wedge of sediment, similar similar scenario, which um, is the, the the kitchen, and then um, provides the um, the source for these traps further up. So we've got um, a number of these along this basin margin um, and really, really exciting to have a number of these prospects that will be you know, unlocked if, um, if we have um, some success. So just zooming in on, um, on the, on the um, Baobab prospect, uh, this is the closure at the 200 through here. Uh, and you can see we've got, um, some full closure, but um, towards the base, we've got this three-way in, into the basin bounding fold through here. That's that big gray gray line that you see here, that, um, that basin bounding fold, which corresponds to this blue one through here. So we've got roughly 16 square kilometers of closure um, in Baobab, and that is uh, defined by, um, you know, a very tightly spaced grid. Uh, we've got um, a strike line through here and one further north uh, as well. So very, very well mapped 
um, and something that um, you know is going to be a pretty exciting first up test. So, looking at how this has evolved and why we were so excited when we first saw it, and and um, the Lokichar is um, is a basin that I studied, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, I was involved in in a sales process for for this basin, um, so got got an inside look at um, you know at all of the data from um, from when these were drilled, and what we began to see when we first started looking at um, you know when we first got got our hands on um, on this project was were, were these similar hints along this basin margin and the string of pearls play that we see through here. So this is in the Lokichar in Kenya. This has been a hugely um, successful um, basin for Africa oil and tallow. Uh, it's resulted in around 800 million barrels of uh, discovered resources. They, they haven't drilled there for a while, obviously with the downturn in the, in the industry and the, um, the, um, the troubles with some of their JV partners. Um, they, th this has been on hold. Um, and also with, with the low oil price, it meant that um, the development hurdles were, 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 were pretty high. But the minimum economic field size that, um, that they were basing this on was roughly 250 million barrels to, to get that um, development over the line. So in Gamia, um, this was the first well that was drilled in, um, in um, the Lokichar in this basin margin area. Loperot uh, through here, also previously known as the Lobster Prospect, uh, and our chairman, Stuart Lake, was at Shell when this was drilled. Um, and uh, Shell ultimately left in the, in the mid-90s again with, with the low oil price. But um, this wasn't very well covered, this, um, this base and margin area. Uh, but Loperot had proved that there was a source in the basin. Uh, there's no seeps in the Lokichar. Um, there's some there's some outcrop where they've sampled um, where they have sampled um, the source rock, uh, similar properties, uh, lacustre ground source rock, same as what we're chasing in here, um, different age, albeit, but um, you know rocks don't care um, how old they are. Um, it, it really is about their their thermal history and, and, and burial and um, rather than the age of them. And so with the basin margin. Um, when Tullo and Bigger Part in Africa Oil picked it up first after Lion Energy uh, were in there and following the success that they'd had in, um, in Uganda, Tullo came and farmed into, into, um, into the Lokichar and, and Gamia was the first well that was drilled. So we see here, again, all of these um, sitting along this basin binding fault. You can see that gray, um, gray fault through there. They've also got a, a little bit of an escarpment through there. You know, so very, very similar looking in terms of their, their situation. Um, this is roughly a 50 kilometer play fairway. And again, once, once one of these works, the success rate is, is prolific. So 88% success rate in this basin following the first discovery. So, you know, subsequently all of these little pearls uh, along here have been proven up. And that's what we're hoping to do in the, and, and repeat that in the Kaborabasa. So, in Garmia and a comparison of, um, of the two prospects. So structurally, very, very similar. We've got the basin bounding fault sitting through here. Um, as we do, we've got these uh, rollovers into the basin bounding fault, which form your, your traps. And then um, 
we've got um, these alternating sequences in here from a uh, fluvial lacustrine environment. Uh, in Gambia, when it was drilled, its pre-drill estimate uh, was 45 million barrels based on five square kilometers of closure. Post-drill with some 3D, um, particularly with these, because of the sharp angle of these base environment faults, it does sometimes create issues with the imaging. And so once they got 3D over it, it actually became a more pronounced um, rollover through here, bigger area and, uh, under closure, and it um, ended up being 25 square kilometers and uh, 297 million, million barrels. So again, we're just imaging these off, off 2D. They're very robust. They're big, um, you know, relatively speaking, um, but not necessary to shoot 3D until, until post, um, you know, post-discovery. Looking at Ngamia and how that unfolded, um, again, we've got, and, and the reason that we like this is because we've got stacked objectives um, in, in this basin and, and, and stacked opportunities. And Ngamia found six uh, separate pools, not albeit, um, you know, relatively modest in terms of their, of their thickness. But again, you don't, once, you, once you're aggregating stack pay, it very, very quickly adds up. So we're not talking about huge columns here. You know, some of some of these sands are in the order of five to ten meters net. Um, you know, this is this is uh, two, this one, and some of them are you know in the sort of twenty-five to thirty meter type of range. So you don't need much, um, but when you've got stack pay, it, it adds up very very quickly. Then looking uh, further afield to the Albertine Graven. Um, so that's up in the, um, just to the northwest of the Lokichar. And again, we see a very, very, um, you know, similar setup, the basin margin play. There's, um, there's probably fewer of these in, in the Albertine. The one very big one though is Kingfisher, which is through here. The difficulty with, um, with the Albertine Graben though, has been the presence of Lake Albert. So modern day Lake, you've got, um, you've got the rift shoulders that sit up here, um, and then you've got a little bit of valley floor to work in, but then you're in the lake. And um, so when, um, when Tullow and Hardman, uh, who, uh, and in fact, there were a couple of, of earlier wells drilled to the, um, to the southwest here by Heritage, which actually found um, CO2 and, and gas, um, but further up to the, um, to the northeast where, um, Heritage, I beg your pardon, um, Hardman and, and Tuller drilled the first well, which was um, was was Warragaf, quickly followed up. So they drilled drilled back to back as well. They drilled in Puta straight after that. And then um, you know, those basin opening discoveries quickly unlocked the rest and set off, you know, the takeover for um, for Hardman resources and Tuller Tuller bought them out for one and a half billion. So Warragaf was only 50 million barrels, I think, and, and in Puta's um, a little bit bigger, sort of closer to hundred. Um, so these sit along the basin margin. Kingfisher, very, very big field. I think that's roughly two or 300 million barrels. Um, in Gasa, though, and this is where, where we see sort of more similarities with uh, Makuyu, are these big fourways out in the basin center. So in Gasa, very, very big field. Talo, though, had to drill it from the shore um, and drill it um, from the shore and, and deviate it to, get, to, reach, um, to reach their objective within Gasa. It hasn't ever been followed up because it's too tricky. Um, and um, they ultimately ended up relinquishing it because it was too hard to develop because it was under the lake. Um, 
as I said, very, very fortunately, we are on the valley floor through here and the lake is further north uh, through here in, in, in Mozambique. But coming up now, and this is called the Nile Delta play, um, in the Albertine Graben, that's where we see this platform coming up here into the east of our Arsenal area, where you get some of these, oh, big pun, some of these bigger um, features through here as well. So, again, we really like really like the setting of the of the Kaboribasa. It shows a lot of similarities to these other very successful and prolific uh, rift basins further north. And um, you know, again, once once you once you taste some success, it's um, from an industry perspective, as close as you get to shooting fish in a barrel, um, you know it's it's. Um, but we've seen that you know repeated in the Perth Basin with the with uh, the Kingy play. I'll touch on that in a second. Maybe I'll just um, finish on on Warriga here, and again, um, you know, just showing this is another line. So so line six uh, for Baobab. So that's um, a little further to the west um, of where we'll be drilling it. But um, again, you've got Warrigo, which is that that basin opener for um, for the Albertine. Your basin binding fault here in red. These gentle little rollovers um, into the basin binding fault, setting up those traps. You've got you know a couple of these uh, faults through here that's been caused by that rifting process, and um, you know we've got a very very similar uh, setup through here. And again, you don't need huge pay pay zones. You know through here, there's what thirty meters in total. Um, tested 12,000 barrels a day on test um, and 50 million barrels. You, know, you aggregate um, five or six of those and you're gonna get bigger ones. You know, Baobab's not the biggest one that, that's in the basin um, of, of these basin margin um, prospects, but it's one that we think is a good play opener to test to test the play. And that's the most important thing to do and make, sh make sure that you make a valid test of the play. So, you know, again, really exciting to, to have this in, in the, Officially now um, in the portfolio, we've been salivating over it for for a long time. It's been frustrating not to be able to unveil it earlier, but um, you know we're we're um, and we're pleased to to now be able to to show it off and um, you know put ourselves in a position to now have a a second plate of test, which is um, you know equally exciting to to Makuyu in, in in our opinion. So from there, um, I think I covered covered off on the on the red project in the last presentation. Um, so I'll park that uh, for now, and I'll wrap up there so that we can um, do the Q and A. Terrific job, thanks, Scott. Well, well, that was a hell of a lot to get through. <laughs> you done? Yeah, well look, there. it is. It's it's quite a it's quite chunky to to, to chew through, um, but I think. Um, yeah, look, it, 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 we, we're really excited. Um, it's a, you know, a, a play type that's been proven. Um, mobile, you know, looking at back at their paper sections, you can't really see this uh, on this on this basin margin um, edge. They and and in um, in the Albertine and the Lockerchard, that those discoveries hadn't been made yet when mobile were exploring here. So again, it's something new that we, you know, we've we've taken from success that's been had elsewhere that we've been able to apply to, you know, a similar similar geological setting um, and, and, and mature this. So that's been really pleasing. Yeah, no, I can imagine. It's got to feel good to actually be able to talk at last. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. So, it's, uh... so look, 
So look, we, so we've got a bunch of questions. So we had all the guys, um, sure. uh, same as last time, on Discord and uh, Hot Copper and, uh, and elsewhere. Streams of questions have been coming in online as well. And um, yeah. so the areas we want to go through, there's going to be stuff talking about the Gazette and the um, and permitting, et cetera. We're going to have a chat about technical. Um, we're gonna, mm -hmm. Some guys want to know about um, partnering and JVs, monetization, a few questions about the cap raise. Um, then yep. the carbon product, and um, if we've got time at the end, there was a um, the tr there was a video by Trove that had a few technical queries and questions as well. Yeah, sure. You might want to uh, uh, attend to some of those. But being as you're sure. very much in the technical mind at the moment, I think we'll stick with um, some of our little technical queries and then hand over to Matt if that's all right with you. Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, the first one we've got is um, so everyone pretty much understands now, I think, where we are with um, QU. Um, so some of the technical questions on that. So do we really expect the 200 and the 500 horizon could both be hydrocarbon bearing? And what do you think about some of the migration pathways um, and um, timing to be able to drill these? Yeah, so we think they both can be filled. Um, and that's that's based on multiple uh, charge histories from um, in the space, and, and that's because it, there has been periods of of uplift um, as well, and it's brought different parts of the basin, and which um, you know we've got this this kitchen out in the north through here, which is and Makuyu is a huge um, a huge feature, and it's got a big fetch area that sucks. Um, <laughs> sucks all of the you know the 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 source um and, and and the generation from from this kitchen through here um but in other in other periods um and and remember we've got multiple sequences of source so they're going to come into they're going to they're going to come into their own at different parts um um of their you know of of this um thermal history and and um and positioning of that source rock um, in a uh, in a vertical sense through which which relates to temperature yeah. throughout um, you know throughout throughout its life. So we are um, so so the two hundred we think is a separate source from um, um, a younger source rock in the Cretaceous, and the Pebliacos, which is the the five hundred is from the uh, the upper angler. I think that's a really good I think that's a really good point to, to help people understand because you know those that are not geos or uh, I want to guess technical they think about just one position for source and if you've got multiple yeah. source horizons and then multiple tracks then definitely there's the opportunity. Yeah. Right. And you've got the time you've got the time component as well as this basin uh, evolves. So we've had um, you know and there is the ability to 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 charge horizons above it when you've got um, leaks through faults um, charge up faults um, so that does happen too okay so assuming and no doubt it will be uh, everything goes successful with the uh, with the drilling and the exploration etc um, what happens on the flow testing side of things so do you need new permits um, and what, what's that going to take to be able to go along and do flow testing? When would you anticipate being able to do that? 
Sure. So, so the from a permit side, we've got everything we need. We don't. We've our EIA was renewed. We don't need anything anything further. So, that's all in hand. the The testing though will require additional equipment that we'll have to to bring in. So that's test spreads. So separators. Um, we've also got to, and it and it depends on where we're successful in you know in in the in the sequence. So. Yeah. If it's if it's if it's one zone, we can probably cheap Charlie it and just do it up the casing. Um, yeah. But if it's not, then then we're going to have to get some tubing um, so that we can isolate particular particular zones, move the tubing up. Uh, we've got a you know, bridge plugs are are easy enough to source at the moment. Um, build a bigger flare pit, obviously. Um, that's always always a good problem to have. Um, spot on. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so, so test spreads and that equipment isn't something that you just order for a, you know, for a, for a wildcat well, uh, because it's, it's got to sit there. Um, we need some, we need some time to plan the test as well. Um, you know, well testing is not simply just about flowing it to see what the rate is. Uh, there's a very specific reason that you well test and that's really to get dynamic information from the from the reservoir so when you design these well tests um if you imagine that you've got a, a pool and you are throwing a pebble into it so we do depending on what you what kind of test you design so let's just talk about isochronal tests where you we will throw a um throw a rock or, or a small pebble into the pool and then you're watching the ripples and if you imagine that's the pressure wave that you're sending out from so you're withdrawing fluid from the reservoir you're flowing it up to the surface and that's causing a pressure change from where you're um, immediately at the wellbore uh, location compared to the average pressure that you've got in the further afield in the reservoir so if you imagine throwing a, a pebble in and that pressure wave propagates out from where that pebble initially landed We've got, we've got, and we've got to order gauges as well. Um, so downhole gauges to um, to record that pressure data, which is pretty close to where you're you're flowing from. So you're measuring that pressure data, and what you're looking for is that response of how how that pressure wave propagates back. So if you imagine if you throw it into a pool and you throw it in the center and it reaches the sides all at the same time. But if you move it slightly closer to one boundary or one side of the pool and you throw that pebble in, that that um, wave is going to hit that one side of the of the pool earlier. Yeah. And that information will tell you if there's a boundary there. So this is what you're looking for in your reservoir. If there's a fault, if there's some kind of change in um, in your fluid type, sometimes you can see contacts. So you're really designing these tests to to try and gather as much data as you can from a, from a dynamic sense, not just the flow, the flow rate data. Yeah. So we're not talking about onshore US wells that are, have very limited drainage areas that, you know, you don't care where the boundary is, you just want to hook it up and, and flow it. These are, you know, we're looking at big conventional reservoirs where we want to, we want to know what the minimum connected volume is, where the potential boundaries are, what the far field reservoir properties are. There's a there's a lot of information that you can gather from from flow testing. 
um, based on some very sophisticated mathematical techniques, um, deconvolution. Um, and so it's not just a case of, you know, just floating and see, see what she does. Yeah. It's, um, it's a little, there's a, there's a lot more science uh, to it. So we've got to do a little bit of planning. Um, we've got to order the gear in. And so that, you know, the, the, a well test won't happen until, until next year in that, in that case. Okay. So, so, so is, this, is the thinking, I mean, again, in the ideal world, discovery in, uh, in both worlds, will you do, will you look to then do flow testing after drilling both by the sounds of it? Yeah, we've got to, we've got to then have a think about what the sequence is next. What are we going to go and do? Are we going to go and appraise Makuyu? Are we going to go and try and drill another one of these basin margin prospects and, and, extend the running, you know, the, the, the play a little bit further, further to the east. Uh, <laughs> all fantastic problems. Um, so I think we, we, we need to look at what the results are, what is then going to set us on a path to early commercialization as well. Um, where the most bang for our buck is in terms of data gathering and information and de-risking, proving up, um, proving up reserves. Um, or continue resources first and then and then reserves so we can get to that critical resource threshold early and get get on the way to commercialization so that will yeah it's hard to tell you what it'll look like at the moment but um you know th those are the sort of thoughts what where our thought process will be around is okay. um, so to help people what, understand what, a bit about your flow testing so um mm. you won't you won't still need the uh rig what will you be use, using instead for the testing? Um, again, we've got to look at, you don't need big rigs for, for testing. Um, you need a, a workover rig, uh, but it'll depend on the availability of them yeah. uh, versus and mobilize, mobilizing a workover rig, all of that rig morale, to be honest, it's probably cheaper to use, um, to use Exalo's 202 rig for, for that early testing um, site, you know, later on and where Tullow and, and, and Africa Oil ended up in, um, in this basin is really drilling appraisal wells and, 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 and new, um, new exploration wells and some of the new prospects and then doing a long testing campaign of, of, um, of a number of them together because it makes sense to, yeah. to do that. So we might, we might do that post some appraisal where we've got some other wells to test as well or some new you know um if we decide to to um you know go and drill some of these others on the basin margin you know to add those in so we've got a multi a multi-well testing program okay so you sounded like you're going to be pretty flexible with this you know see see how things go yeah you need you need to it's hard it's hard to you know to kind of um predict how everything's going to pan out and you need a you need a little bit of flexibility so that um you know not you're not so rigid in your approach oh, this is the way we have to you know have to do it there's a lot of ways that we can that we can approach this but i think the theme of it is to make sure that we can get to that critical resource um that minimum economic field size and prove that up yeah uh first um so that we can start those that that commercialization process as, as quickly as possible. 
Okay, so just checking on, uh, again, just quickly on the permits. So, because you said you, you, you got your permits, et cetera, for um, Q. Have, do you have all mm -hmm. the, um, the other base and margin uh, well permits in place as well? Yeah, so this is all covered under our, under our EIA. So when we did our EIA, our, our study area extended from out here um, all the way through to, um, what's this border post called? I think Mukumbura, all the way out to the east here. We covered the entire basin. So all the, all the baseline studies, everything's been done. Uh, and then the, the process with Emma is, is really just an addendum to your, to your EIN because we've covered it. It's, um, that's already, already done. Okay. So then, as you, again, back to, as you, as, you, as you work your way down, will you be looking to, as you strike with each horizon, being able to give an update to the market? And would you be, is that the sort of thing you'd call discovery or would you wait till the end? How, how do you play that sort of announcement? Yeah, so so probably just going back to the to to the the, the evaluation program, we will have um, LWD, so logging while drilling. So those are real time measurements that we'll get from the from just behind the bit. So your your gamma ray tool uh, sits you know roughly two to three meters behind the bit, and then uh -huh. you've got we'll, we'll be running resistivity as well, which will give us um, some indications on um, on fluid type. So that'll help us in that sense figure out where we are in the in the broader scheme of things, um, sand versus shale, um, not having to wait for the for the rock chips and the to come up the returns because that takes a little while to circulate from the bottom of the hole to get up to the surface. So that'll give us real time measurements. Um, with conventional reservoirs uh, like this, often you will get um, shows, whether that's gas or or oil shows, um, and we've got the added um, complexity here of of in that two hundred horizon where it is it looks quite a uh, like quite a substantial column, you know, uh, potentially three or four hundred meters and and overpressured. Mm -hmm. What that means is we've got to get our mud weight. And I, I think I spoke about this last time. We've got to get our mud weight right to ensure that we can maintain control of of the well um, because if the when when you drill your your mud weight is equivalent when you're circulating it downhole to a pressure and you need to ensure that that pressure at the base of your of your borehole is greater than the pressure that the reservoir is at if it's yeah. if it's um, lower then your reservoir is going to cause an influx and then it's going to blow your mud out of the hole and um, and then you lose control of the well, and that's a that's a really dangerous situation. Yeah. So because this basin hasn't been drilled, we don't have a handle on what the pore pressure regime is. So that pressure profile as you get deeper, what that is um, from a baseline perspective, and then what the overpressure potentially is on on top of that going into that into that two hundred horizon. Mm -hmm. So if we're in a scenario where we see where we take a kick, so a kick is a, a pressure influx, um, which is, you know, again, it's it's um, it is a it is a hazardous situation and something that you want to get under control quickly. So what you do then is you add heavier components to your mud barrett and, and weight it up so that it increases the the weight of the mud and then the pressure at the bottom of the hole to maintain that that control. So that ensures that it, that it's kept under control and then. Um, once you so that that'll be your first 
that'll be your first um, clue that you're in something over pressure is is taking a taking a kick. Um, we're trying not to take a kick because we don't know potentially how what the pressure is. So we don't want to get this wrong because if you get it wrong, it has you know it has consequences. Yeah. So we have taken extra precautions that if we do get it wrong, that we we've got a diverter that we can divert the the um, the returns that'll come up from the from the well bore to a to a flare system that'll just burn it off um, so that we don't have to to kill the well, which um, you know, and, and use the the blowout preventers. You don't want to do that yeah. um, unless it's last resort, because particularly if you've got shear rams, you you know, then you lose your well and you've got to you've got to redrill it. And it's um, we don't want to, we don't want to be in that situation. So we, we're going in with with um, quite a conservative mud weight. So that's designed to ensure one we don't we don't take a kick or only take a small kick, um, and then two, um, what that may do is suppress those shows if if it's significantly, um, yeah. you know, if we've got a significant over, um, uh, um, significantly heavier in, in our mud weight. Um, then that may actually suppress any influx of, of oil or gas into, yeah. into the wellbore and, and in those returns. So that's not the be all and end all though. With, with shows, I think, you know, quite often we've had instances of companies that have drilled, they've announced shows whilst they're drilling only to do the, the wire line and they're not able to, you know, to retrieve a, a fluid sample or, or get the wells to flow. So shows don't indicate a discovery. That's no. the, first, the first thing. You also get shows when you're drilling through source intervals, so not the reservoir, what we're looking for, but the source that actually generates the, the oil and gas. So the combination of things will be, if we do take a kick and we do flow gas to surface because we've taken a little kick and we've got to, we've got to send it to the diverter, then that technically is a discovery. That's a material event. It's definitive. We'll announce it. Um, if we don't have a kick, that doesn't mean that we haven't that it's a failure. It just means that we've got our mud weight right, which yeah. is what we're aiming to do in the first place. Um, we've then got those, yeah, we've then got those LWD tools uh, behind the bit, which will provide us with some real-time information um, with with gamma ray and resistivity that'll help distinguish the the lithology types, so sand versus shell. Um, but then also fluid type from the from the resistivity. Um, brine, which is the fluid in your in your reservoirs that, that they start off with, um, has a different resistivity to oil. It has a different resistivity to gas. So that helps us um, distinguish what what the potential fluid type is. Uh, and then, so we'll get those measurements. Those those are are also good indicators, but they're not definitive. Logging while drilling data is very, very coarse in terms of its um, its sampling rate. So you're typically sampling over an interval that's anywhere between one to two meters. Mm -hmm. When we run the wireline tools, that's very, very fine scale data that we're gathering. Your typical um, sample rate is then five or six centimeters. So you yeah. get really, really high detailed information. Um, so only once we've finished the the wireline of that whole section will be announcing results if we don't, and and so that will that will be the definitive um, 
uh, determination of, of whether we've made a discovery in that first whole section. So remember, that's only down to the 400. Yeah, I was going to say that's to the, um, the top of the pebbly arc. Is that right? Yeah. So just, just yeah, just above the pebbly, just above top pebbly arc. So okay. All right. So just getting back onto a little bit more about sequencing then. So um, so there were some questions about why was um, uh, Boabab selected as the uh, as the target on the base of margin um, compared to others that are on the base of margin? Is it just purely for logistics because it's near to Makuyu? No, not purely for logistics. Uh, there's also some other considerations in there, drilling trajectories, um, access to charge, uh, robustness of the of the traps, some of the um, the DHIs that we're seeing in Baobab as well. Yep. Um, so all of that. Look, there wasn't a lot in it, and we had a lot of debate in the <laughs> in the team, and we and we went around and around in circles. Um, with with which one to pick first to 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 drill. Um, so in the end, we settled in in Burbab um, because of a, a range of factors. So we had a you know we had a, a, a ranking and a risking system that we employed. Um, there is you know there is some some probably um, uh, per, like opinions that come into that as well about people how how they yeah. feel about this particular one versus another and, and it's Stuart and, uh, uh, look Stuart's a strong Stuart's got a strong <laughs> opinion on, on, on a lot of things um but he was look he was he was pretty good and he you know he, what he what he was very good at doing in, in in his career when he was running new ventures teams is you know trying to steer everyone and make sure everyone's heard yeah. get, gets all the opinions out of the table it's not dominated by you know by because often um, you know, I've been involved in this before. Often the prospects that get drilled are the ones that one particular person is the noisiest about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, is, and there's ways to, you know, to, to change the, you know, particular parameters, particularly when it comes around uh, to risk. You know, if you go back historically, you know, companies have this rule of thumb, we're not going to drill anything that's, that's greater than a, that has less than a, than a 15 or 20% um, chance of success. And so people would just, you know, change a couple of parameters and they're risking to to get it to to that minimum threshold. We've never so, done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this is all this is that's with competing, you know, with competing groups and and, yeah, and teams competing for, for 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 budget. This is all done, you know, fairly methodically. Um, but people will have particular opinions about particular prospects and what they, you know, yeah. and that's often often based on on past experience so so with our with all the input from our from our technical team um and we had some input from from also from some of the the potential partners that we were talking to as well um you know and 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 which ones they liked so yeah uh, Baobab won out at the end of the day um and and actually coincidentally um this the the the, the well location that we picked for it um, when we went to do the initial scouting site, right on the corner of the well pad is an enormous baobab tree um, where, where the oh, site beautiful. will be. So whether whether that's um, whether that's serendipity or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll um, go with it. I'll take any sign. <laughs> but also another another pretty interesting anecdote from um, 
you know, from last year before we before we shot the seismic campaign, when we did the you know the the, the traditional ceremonies before we started the the campaign, we had one of the the old um, so they're called nungas or or um, uh, witch doctor probably is the 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 term that the West would use uh, you know uh, you know who, who, who practiced traditional religion and traditional medicine. Um, before we shot the seismic campaign, he said, I don't know why you're bothering with, with the seismic. I'm going to tell you, you know, I know, I know where to, I know where, where I know where the oil and gas is. And he said, it's, um, you know, you're wasting your time doing this. I'll just tell you where it is. And he, and he actually pointed out a site. It's not too far away from where, from where Makuyu one is getting trolls. So it's, um, um, it's one of those, um, you know, and if we make a discovery, we're never going to hear the end of it uh, as well. And I'll be glad, but it's, oh, um, it's, quite, it's quite a, um, <laughs> well, yeah, we went, we will, we'll, we'll, you know, I can, I can then, um, I can then get rid of my technical team and just, um, just rely on the, on, on the bones being thrown to, to tell us where to drill next. <laughs> it, sounds like, so, it sounds like I have to do water dividing as well anyway. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what about moving on then between the um, between the two? So when do you think you start prepping, or have you already started prepping the second world pad? Yeah, so we've so they've 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 um, completed all the all the traditional ceremonies to bless the the well side of Baobab as well. Mm. The the civil works um, now they're they're just having a look and seeing what the subsoil profile is like, seeing how much aggregate we're going to need for the for the pad. Baobab's going to be a much smaller pad. We're going to leave the the, the camp. Uh, at the Makuyu site and just move the rig. So it's only 10Ks um, away. And there's a brand new, beautiful highway that is being built. So it comes down the, the escarpment the, uh, and the tar road previously ended you know, roughly here, just after Mahui, but they're extending it now because they're building a new highway up to Kenyemba with a with a border of uh, Zambia oh, and Mozambique. So there's a brand new highway and it's and and it's just about past where we turn off to go to Makuyu that's being built at the moment beautiful wide lane road so it's you know it's 10 k's along that it's a pretty um pretty easy commute in the morning um and in the evening for the guys so that'll save us time it'll save us money as well not moving the camp um so you know baby preparation started and that'll follow on immediately uh from Makuyu so yeah, once Makuyu is done and the wells, the wells left in a in a safe state. Um, hopefully, suspending it to be tested. We'll then move the rig um, to Baobab, set it up, drill, and then um, and then complete that. So, so that's looking probably um, uh, about probably about end of November for Spud, something like that. Uh, yeah, depends depends on where we where we sit in that forty five to sixty day time frame with. Um, you know, with Makuyu, so we're probably yeah. looking at yeah, mid to um, end of November. Oh, Spud, yeah, Spud from from mid November, I would think. Yeah. Okay. Do you think the um, do you think the is the wet season going to have any impact on you with your drilling? No, no, not 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 drilling. Um, we get a little bit of rain in in November, but the rain doesn't really start in earnest till you know, sort of late mid to late december and then the really heavy periods kind of january february um but again we're on the right side um baobab um 
of one of the, the rivers. There's no bridges that we need to, to worry about and cross. So it's, um, and we're on a tarred road. So it's, um, it's pretty civilized. All right, sounds lovely. Okay, and my last question is sort of semi-technical, um, semi semi-money. Um, so when, um, when it gets into the appraisal, what's the, um, the thinking? Uh, you know, once you've done your testing, got your prospect, you're going to go back and do appraisal. What's the thinking about the uh, the funding needs for that? And is there any sort of initial estimates of what we think appraisal might cost? Yeah, so look, your, your appraisal wells are typically um, more expensive than your exploration wells. And that mm -hmm. is because you upsize your data gathering program. So we'll be running uh, additional wireline um wildland tools and that'll be um, formation images so fmr formation image log um, also probably nmr nuclear um, magnetic resistance so yeah. you you th th there's other more sophisticated tools that you typically run as well uh, and then we'll be doing conventional coring as well because you want to gather actual bits of your reservoir so that you can then calibrate it back to your logs not just you know, small data points that we'll be gathering with the small sidewall cores, but whole whole core throughout your your reservoir. So that coring um, much slower, more tripping, um, and um, you know, and then your post evaluation of that of that data is also uh, more expensive. So you know, your your exploration wells are depending on depth data. You know, data acquisition program, etc., are, are typically, you know, 20, 30 percent more expensive than um, than your exploration wells. Also, then, if you're looking to utilize your appraisal wells as future producers, you're going to ups upspec your casing. Um, yeah. You know, so we're just we're just using, um, you know, carbon steel for this because uh, it's low grade. We're not we're not expecting to to have to um, use Makuyu again. Because often your exploration wells aren't drilled in the ideal locations. Yep. Um, that they're, they're designed to be cheap throwaway wells to to test what you need to test, and then you come back and you appraise with a with a purpose. So, you know, it'll depend on we'll design our appraisal program, and that'll be the number of wells we need, and that's really to address what you're trying to do with appraisal is address your uncertainties and cool. reduce it. So whether your uncertainty is um, your um, where your gas water contact is, for example, so that's going to determine your column height, which will determine what your uh, the fill of your reservoir. Um, you're going to go and try and pin that down at a location where you think, right, well, this is where I think the gas water contact. We can intersect it there and and really pin it down. If it's reservoir quality, you're going to go and test something that your seismic tells you is um, is a different different uh, signature to try and calibrate your good seismic um, signature that you get with and you've got a data point now with a well and to go and calibrate somewhere different so that will give you more information um, you know if it's top structure in a in a different fault compartment is this fault compartment charged you know we've 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 that's probably our our biggest um uncertainty going with an appraisal campaign is is going and appraising you know the central and the northern part of the structure because it is it is more faulted so looking at your connectivity across your fault blocks do they communicate are they hydraulically separate so all of this comes into your 
into your thinking and, and that'll determine um, and it'll evolve as you as you drill appraisal wells sure. uh, too. So we'll, we'll, we'll go out with a you know with a uh, with an appraisal program to try and um, eliminate well not eliminate you can never eliminate uncertainty in, in, in subsurface but to reduce as far as possible as and at as reasonable cost as possible you can spend huge amounts of money appraising yeah. stuff yeah yeah and ultimately yeah. and a lot of big companies do that and they have these gold-plated appraisal programs where there's a lot of money wasted and it doesn't give them much more data or information it makes people feel good getting more data you know and that's that goes back to the to the 3d versus 2d debate yeah. um you know that, we've, that, that, that that i've been asked on before you know, if you had an unlimited budget, sure, you'd go and shoot 3D data before before you did this. But is it actually going to change your decision on what you want to do? No, it's not. So you, you've got to, you, you can waste a lot of money in these appraisal programs. But what you want to try and do is reduce your big uncertainties as, as far as possible. So that, and you're trying to narrow your range between your, your P90, your minimum case, yeah. um, your P10, which is your upside case, your high case, and then your P50. And as you gather more data, you want those to converge and, and that and that uncertainty range to to reduce. So um, yeah, the appraisal campaign will really be dependent on this initial expression. Yeah. Uh, so, results. And then, and then the funding of that is going to be either self-funding or that could be JV time, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that so that then then opens up the door for um for different types of JV arrangements yeah. and different types of carries. You know, what we were looking at before was carries for the expiration wells. Because yeah. people want to have that as a as a kind of stop-go decision. How's the expiration gone on? We've taken the big risk up front, and then it's heads up after that. Once you're in this discovery territory and basin opening territory. And you've proven the petroleum system in the basin, and 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 that um, you know your play type works. And then if you've got other plays, or sorry, other prospects in that play, you know, then you're in a in a much different negotiating position. Much and that's where you can much, very much easier conversation <laughs> um, because the risk has been taken taken away. Yeah, um, not all of it, but certainly, you know, it it's um, it's far reduced. So then you open yourself up to multi-well appraisal program carries, development carries, um, et cetera. So if we look at how the Lockerchild Basin unfolded here, Tullow and, and Africa Oil were 50-50, and they went and drilled um, quite a number of discoveries before Africa Oil decided to farm down. Yeah. And, and they sold 25%, so half of their 50 to Maersk, who came and bought it for 450 million in cash plus a development carry uh -huh. for the for the initial um, for the initial uh, well, uh, for, sorry for the initial development, um, you know, and that's resulted in Africa Oil now. You know, they had a huge cash war chest that they then went and deployed and bought some production in Nigeria and are now printing money. Um, mm. And they did that, you know, they did that during the downturn um, when they bought that. When they bought that asset but um you know so it does open us up then to a range of um potential outcomes 
So the further down the maturity funnel you can get, and you know, by adding more resources. So obviously, the more you're shifting from the prospective resource category, undiscovered, into the discovered category, continued resources, that brings you up the value curve. And then if you're moving that from contingent resources to reserves where it's commercially viable, obviously then that has increased value. So that also plays a part in the thinking, you know, do we, do we partner early um, to bring in and help with some of the funding, you know, if, and it depends on your ability to fund it um, as well. So, you know, I think we've had, we've had um, good support in that, in that realm. And for the cost of drilling exploration wells here, you know, let's, let's call it, you know, with an appraisal program, let's call it 15 million a throw for the, for the basin margin and maybe, you know, 20 million for, for Makuyu appraising that, then, you know, you're looking at being able to add a huge amount of value through unlocking new discoveries and then bringing in a partner after that. So, uh, it 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 um you know again certainly very very good problems yeah uh, to have okay or someone so, might come along and just you know like like what happened with Hardman with you know with Tullo and and they they see it it's been unlocked it's been de-risk and that it's a strategic position in the basin it controls all the running room and someone may just say we we've got to have this in our portfolio because it'll you know it'll be material um, yeah. No, absolutely. All right. There was a. I'm, I'm trying to actually keep on keep on the theme before we get over to Matt and he'll talk about some other bits and pieces. There's, there's just people talking about. I'm sure you see this, this trove video, and uh, they, they yep. just had some questions about. Someone prospect. said it to me the other day. Yeah, they were talking about prospect definition, seismic amplitude, source rock, seal capacity, and topside issues. I think you've. Um, I think you've covered most of the queries and questions that these guys had in there, um, talking about um, the prospectivity that we're looking at. Is there was there anything in particular that you'd heard or understood that there was any um, yeah, points you wanted to put out there? Yeah, look, probably prob- probably just I guess the main thing. And and look, I don't I don't know I don't know who this who this guy is. I've never had a conversation with him or had any no, dealings that. with him. Someone someone sent me the video the other day and and. Um, you know, watch it. I think probably, um, you know, the main thing is that he's been working off um, some uh, PDF slides um, that we've put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and some of that was from the very, very early days when, um, you know, when we, when we just started out and we were working off the old mobile paper sections, um, the old yeah. maps that they had. And really, this has evolved. Uh, you know, uh, orders of magnitude beyond from where we where we first picked this up. So, you know, I think some of the some of the the, the criticisms on the on the amplitude um, and and the shutoffs and the depth of them. I mean, that's that's just me putting a power uh, you know a line on PowerPoint across the bottom of it, and maybe you know sometimes when I'm doing them, these things you know the base map slips. And when I'm moving them around to, you know, and so uh, look, relying, relying on, um, relying on PDF presentations, great source of information, but to do that kind of analysis without all of the data behind it, you know, that's, that's pushing it Brilliant. a little bit. Um, and the reason that we have had these independent 
resource estimates done is exactly this because we've got nothing to hide. We hand it over to, to these independent resource assessors. Um, they have access to all the data, all the basin modeling, you know, not just PowerPoint slides. They've got actual, you know, and they can go and do whatever they want to that data, look at our interpretation, do their own independent interpretation. And they came up with the numbers, not us. They've got nothing to gain from, yeah. um, you know, from those numbers. They're not, they're not doing it to do me a favor. No, no ERCE are an international company. Um, they've got very, very strict, uh, as all the resource houses do, because particularly the international ones, not just the kind of domestic onshore US ones. Um, you know, so it was done by the team in Perth here, uh, as well as Singapore, and then it's sent over to London to their, their head of, you know, so it's got to pass a very thorough QC process. Um, you know, so these aren't just numbers that have just been agreed on in the pub. Oh, does this sound good to you? Um, you know, how's, well, and for me saying, oh, can we make it 20? No, that's not how, that's not how it works. So, you know, I think, I think questioning, if he's got, a, if he's got a, an issue with the numbers, he, you know, you can contact ERCE if, if they're willing to, and they probably won't discuss it because it's all, all confidential, but they can give him the assurance that he needs that they did their own independent work and are, and are happy with the numbers and, 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 the, and the assessment and all of those petroleum system elements that, that come into it, um, into those, um, into those numbers. Um, and then I think on the, on the size side of things, um, you know, questioning whether this is the biggest undrilled prospect on South Africa. If you can find a bigger one, please let me know. Uh, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will eat my blazer with a knife and fork on your next podcast if you can find a bigger um, undrilled onshore prospect in Africa, seismically defined, independently, um, you know, assessed. So... I'll join you. I'll eat the I'll eat the right seat. You, you can do the left one. <laughs> All right. So look, mate. So I yeah. I mean, look. I just think that it's up for others to go and have a look, compare. But I never run putting my time. No. It's all enough said. That's all good. All yeah. right. So um, we'll rock over to um. So Matt's got a few queries. I think he's going to go through um the Gazette and um yep. monetization capital. So are you okay probably for another 20 minutes, half an hour? Is that okay? Yeah. Yep. Carry on. All right. Beautiful. Well, thanks for all your um all your um responses to everything technical. It's um yeah, mind blowing. Fantastic, mate. Matt, over to you, my friend. Thank you, Mark. Uh yeah, thank you so far, Scott. Very enlightening, very illuminating conversation. Just a quick follow-up um on Mark's queries, just you know, notably a, a lack of a, a resource estimate for the Baobab and Basin margin. Can you just give us an update on when we might expect that or, or you know, what's where, where, when might the market expect to see that released? Yeah, sure. So that's, that's in progress with ERCE. In fact, I've got a, I've got a meeting with them later this morning um, to go and have a look at the draft numbers. So they've been, I haven't seen their numbers yet. They've been sitting, sitting with them. Um, and that's so that we can get this out. And then, um, yeah, there's a bit of news flow planning in that as well. So we didn't want to have it because if you have it, it's material and you've got to release it straight away. So, um, so yeah, that's, it's, it, it's not far away. 
the process with these things is that you they do the draft numbers we're going to have a have a review of them make sure that that there's no big bust in terms of the assumptions that have gone in or, or the independent work and we have this with Makuyu. you know if you look back to the the column height uh debate that we had um and there's there's some there's some discussion in that in the in the back of that prospective resource release estimate so sometimes things like that take a little bit of working through um where you where you have a different opinion but um you know ultimately they put out independent numbers so ELC said this is our methodology this is what we're comfortable with and this is what you know this is how our numbers work out using our our assumptions and we say okay well you know these were our assumptions and this is what our numbers are um, but ultimately we you know we adopt the independent numbers because that's what we that's what we do we've never put out internal numbers um precisely because of the you know it just leaves you open to to criticism um I think also it's stuff that you or numbers that you can stand behind that makes your partners feel comfortable um as well that it's been independently done and um you know I always like to make sure that we are when we gather more data that we're maturing it and that and it gets bigger not the other way around where you throw out these huge numbers up up front and then you're chasing you know you're, you're forever chasing it and then when you put up uh, or get independent numbers done that you go backwards that's never you know it's never a good sign so you know and again if we look at what unfolded in in the locker chart in Gamia when it was first drilled five square kilometers of closure mapped on 2d um then once they they drilled that initial well they went and shot 3d and then um in Gamia as a structured group and ultimately it ended up at 300 million barrels so I think people should also keep keep that in mind that you want to be adding you know adding um to your resource base as it as it matures not the other way around we don't want to go and drill something that goes backwards absolutely no very logical um and i don't this so next question here bit of a garden path here i don't mean to go down too far and sure. i probably i anticipate that likely you like you know you, you probably can't give too much in the way of concrete detail but can you is there how much daylight or discrepancy or diversity is there between you know your in, in this discussion you're having uh with how much discrepancy is there between what invictus is bringing to the table compared to third party or what your expectations are data um look most of the stuff we're pretty aligned on it's really makuyu is and the, the the base and margin stuff has been much easier because we're not dealing with enormous structures potentially big column heights um so Makuyu is quite rare in that you've got a lot of stack prospectivity. You've got huge closure at all of these levels, um, which makes people a little bit nervous and uncomfortable. Um, and I think I gave the anecdote when we were chatting to some, um, you know, some potential farmer partners about the size of it when we first you know, when we did our initial rounds of, of the numbers internally, and we were like, wow, that's, um, you know, that's it, telephone numbers. Um, and like John wound it back and wound it back again to try and make it feel more comfortable. And again, it's, you know, getting back to, uh, this is geosciences and, and, and exploration is part, part science and part art. Um, you know, being able to conceptualize these players, how they work, um, and then and then finding the science that that um, 
you know, that backs up your story as well. So the, that caused a little bit more debate than, than usual. Um, and again, it, comes, it, it, it ultimately comes down to how much data that you have as well. Um, because the more data you have, the more, you know, the less wriggle room that you have for, for, um, for debate, because that, those are, those are um, the inputs. So it's, um, yeah, for, I mean, for the, for the base and margin, there's so far from our preliminary discussions and the, and the input ranges that they have shown us, there's very little, very little discrepancy on that. So, um, but yeah, it, it, it comes down to, uh, and sometimes it comes down to personality with the, you know, with the, the, the people that you're dealing with at, at, um, at the independent assessor. So you've got some people who are just adamant. We, you know, we will not do this. Uh, you know, I don't, this, this is our method. This is our, this is what we're comfortable with. That's it. Unless you show us um, something else or an analog or um, another concrete piece of data, then this is what we're going to stick to. So we did that in, in, in some respects and showed them, showed them some other analogs where we had um, big closures, one of them being in, you know, Lockheed Jar Deep, 600 meter column, um, drilled, drilled last year, overpressured, um, Perth Basin, permatriasic system. So they're like, yeah, okay, well, fine. <laughs> so it, it, often, it often comes down to um, being able to back up the assumptions with some data, um, being able to, you know, to show your rationale and, um, but ultimately at the end of the day, the, the assessors are going to give you their independent view. You're not going to, you're not going to arm wrestle them, um, you know, to give them what you want because that's not an independent process. So, yeah. Nope. Perfect. Thank you. So yeah, I will transition now into the, the rest of the interview here. It's a bit of a grab bag, a few different topics. Sure. Obviously, a lot of news has come out recently and people are just kind of, you know, there's lots of questions and follow-up desire to, to know more or, or to understand a bit better, right? Uh, this first one probably is going to be fairly easy just because it's kind of post-mortem past tense. But uh, could you just, I mean, this is almost kind of going back to the human element as you talk about with the third party and how and just how individual personality comes into it. But could you just run us through just the gazettal, right? I mean, you know, obviously there was a lot of kind of stopping and starting and could you maybe just as much as you can speak to what the delays, the cause were and, uh, and what happened there? Yeah, sure. So, so look, the, the, the agreement that we reached in, in March uh, that was done that there's a lot of bureaucracy in, in, um, in the civil service and probably something uh, mark you would like to hear this but that's been inherited from uh, from the british due to the you know obviously the the past um and um zimbabwe has been isolated from from the rest of the world for for the last 20 years and doing business at a pace of what foreign companies need and what we've needed to to get this done in a in a reasonable amount of time even though we've been Pushing, they understand what the urgency is. Sometimes, you know, it just—it's just hard work, and you've got to. We we've got to deal with with um, with a lot of different ministries across a lot of different functions, a lot of different people that we've got to try and um, coordinate and and corral. 
there's a lot of uncertainty with this because it is something that is you know potentially enormous for the country no one wants to make a mistake no one wants to have the finger pointed at them so typically they're very slow in the decision making or the easiest thing is just to not make a decision because then you can't you know then you can't make a mistake so the other element in that is that going back to the previous um mines and, and minerals administration under you know at the end of um uh, Mugabe's tenure, that mines minister, Walter Chidakwa, and his permanent secretary, Francis Kuchikanga, were prosecuted because they didn't follow the right procedures and they went beyond what, um, what their re re remit and authority was. And so you've got that. And so you've got some of these junior bureaucrats who've seen that and think, I don't want to get in that position. I'm not going to do anything unless I'm instructed to or told to, and they've got to be wait for, for that to be done. So there's there's often, um, you know, that nervousness of, of that happening. Um, people don't haven't understood what we've been doing because it's a new and novel um, industry in the country. Uh, and so progress has been slow. Um, and But we've got a fantastic team on the ground there. And, and we have to be patient as well because we can't just immediately go straight over people's heads because then we we poison our relationships with, with people that we've got to work with in the future. So we've we've had we've had to be uh, observant of some of the, the 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 business culture there and the and the practices and the protocol and the procedures and, and do that. And then when it gets to a point where we cannot wait any longer, then we, you know, then then we step in. But it's it's that that's a call that we have to make every now and again not not often but you know we 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 did do that in this case because we said to them look we've got these long leads that we've ordered we've got the rig we've got to start building the pad we've got to get the insurance in place to drill this second well if we don't have it and we don't have the title we cannot do it and then that's it we've got to release you know we've got to release the 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 services companies and the rig because we we, we can't sit here on standby um burning money whilst we're trying to rush on a well pad um so we we did we did have um some very high level um discussions where we just you know laid out right this is this is the urgency this is what we need and and so once that instruction came then it was done so um it did take a long time but and we we have been frustrated that we couldn't do it sooner we would have liked to have unveiled this earlier obviously and then, um, you know, this will probably, I'm sure there'll be some questions on the on, on the cap raise um, as well, but it would have given us the opportunity to include retail now because we would have had more time and a, and a longer gestation period until this happened. But as it, as it stands, you know, with the, with the rig there, just about ready to go, that, that, that window, uh, that window was closed. Um, unfortunately, so that's been frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, it's been done properly. It's been done correctly, um, and now we can get on with the program. Thank you. Yeah, and they, I, we will return to the cap raise, and I just, yeah, I will highlight what you said there about just the timing of it throwing off the ability for retail. That is a question that came up some oh, sort of frustration or consternation, right, from people who are present investors. Uh, yeah hoping to be involved 
but let me just uh, we'll get there. Let's I'll finish off one more question here on on bureaucracy. Is uh, just is there an update on PPSA? It's on. Yeah. So the so the uh, petroleum uh, the petroleum act the amendment for that is in the finance bill that's being discussed in Parliament. It's a very very simple uh, amendment. It's really just changing the definitions. And so once that has been passed, then that will allow the execution of the of the PPSA. So without without that amendment to the petroleum bill, the PPSA can be signed, but the enforceability of that is really questionable because it's just a direct agreement between us and government. It's not backed by any legislation. So that's why we that's why the step has has had to happen. Um, and the, in the opinion of the Attorney General and, and, and the ministers who are involved, the quickest way to do that was to put it into the, the finance bill. Um, that's, you know, it's an omnibus bill that gets, that gets passed as part of the, the budget like a lot of uh, countries have. Um, because trying to table a separate bill to be discussed in Parliament just on this thing would, would have caused a lot of delays. Because there's other competing bills that have to be put in ahead of it. Mm, yeah, excellent. So I will switch gears here now to just discussions around partnership JV Farmins. Um, obviously, I think I, I assume I hope that everybody recognizes that this is material information that he, you know Scott's not going to be able to speak freely and in great detail with this. But Scott, anything you can provide, I guess, right? But uh, could you? Have you been approached about Farmins, JVs? Obviously, yes. Uh, more recently, uh, conversations have they changed? Um, maybe number of number of parties, interested parties. Can you just explore or expand on that idea? Yeah, sure. So we had we had um, obviously the the interest from those parties that that, that we announced. We had uh, a few others subsequently. I think it's it's always um, it's always a trade off because if you have a really hotly contested process a lot of companies will stand back and think oh well this is already you know um it's hard to compete so that um we we did have interest though and i and i think as this as this matured and as you got that the the Kaborabasa seismic data that came out the resource estimates that came out for for McKee, that obviously generated a, a lot more interest as well from from people um but ultimately we chose the path to go and solve this ourselves. And it was really around the, the look-through dilution of the cap raise versus what we would take on with a, a farming partner. And, you know, we stated this, and I've stated this many times, we were going to take a dual path of farm up or sole fund and choose what we thought was the best route for shareholders. Um, we always knew that we would re-rate off the back of this um, this additional acreage and this basin margin play and, and, and these leads further in the east because it is you know, a fantastic addition to the portfolio and it's a material um, upgrade in our, in our portfolio and our prospectivity. So we always knew that was going to happen. Um, it was frustrating that we couldn't execute the timing of that um, and the approvals of that so we could have done it earlier because it would have, um, it would have put us in a better position on, on, a, on a couple of fronts, one from a, a partnering side of things to try and um, increase some competitive tension now that that was um, 
that was opened up. It's hard to approach companies because um, when they come and see us, all they know about is Makuyu. So it's hard to solicit interest for other companies who'd be interested in this type of play. Um, Say, so we'll sign a CA and then we'll show you what, you know, and uh, getting CAs executed in oil companies is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> their legal departments are, are something else. Um, so, so look, frustrated with the timing and how that unfolded. Um, at the end of the day, though, if you told me that we'd be in a position when Invictus started off, that we would have been chasing not one but two wells, Kuyu's 20 TCF, um, you know, potentially billion barrel um, play in the basin margin, and we'd be able to solve fund a seismic campaign and drill those two wells, I would, you know, <laughs> I would have um, had a hard time believing it. Yeah. Um, so, to, so to be in that position to control the running room in the basin, um, you know, probably the other factor that comes into it is we, we're currently a, a, a single asset company. So the, the downside of us farming out on a, and, and failing is the same as, you know, whether we brought in a partner or not, mm. we, it, it's still, you know, it's still going to be, um, you know, pretty disappointing. Um, and that'll be reflected in the share price, but for what we could, what we could solve fund at um, now and retain that upside and all of this running room, if we're successful, then you know, wow, it is going to be a phenomenal outcome. So, and we've given ourselves a shot at now two wells, uh, eleven targets across those two wells. You know, we need one of those to come in, and and we're good. So. So yeah, um, so that's where the, the the sort of partnering side of things um, sit at the moment. Obviously, that's parked for the exploration side of things, unless someone, you know, comes in over the top. And even then, you know, it'll probably be a a very quick um, no um, <laughs> at this rate. Um, and then you know, some of them want to pick up after the after the exploration results. Um, you know, particularly some of the larger the larger independents who are looking at this from a strategic kind of play. Um, so yeah, thank you. I'll leave it, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> no, fair enough. So I will, I will switch gears here. We've got a couple of topics left here. Um, well, two or three here left that I'll try to be somewhat efficient with. Um, maybe we will just switch gears and, and talk about the capital raise uh, before kind of before we light a fire under you and get some questions into you, maybe a more just a more neutral or objective one here is, you know, you you your capital raise was jointly managed by Jet Capital, which is a U.S. based investment firm, right? Could you just, I mean, how how did you pick them? How how do they fit into your efforts? Uh, and I mean, you're obviously starting to try to expand your reach to make your Invictus more international. Uh, could you just kind of speak to those efforts as well? Sure. So, so Jet have worked with with uh, PAC partners who've been um, our, our sort of housebroker for the last couple of years, um, and they've had some successful transactions uh, with them. They have a number of um, 
energy-focused long-only funds that they deal with. And so that, um, you know, from, from that side of things, it, it, it was for us to go and try and get interest in the US, you know, I don't, I don't have any, any presence um, in the US, really many contacts. My, my contacts are more, you know, sort of on, on the European and UK side where a lot of the Africa um, focuses for, for oil and gas. So, you know, there are some Canadian companies, but, um, you know, again, um, you know, so our experience or, or our presence in, in the US, so we needed some help opening doors there. So that was, um, you know, we had, a, we had a virtual roadshow in the US. Um, I think you saw some buying out of the US as a result of that um, a couple of weeks ago uh, as well. So we, we, we have always, always targeted it. Some of those investors who, who came into the cap raise were successful with, with Recon. You know, they invested pre-drill and, um, and obviously did very handsomely out of it. So they recognize this as a, you know, similar potential to unfold um, in that respect. So, um, so yeah, that, that was the rationale behind that. And so uh, the, the question I have next is regarding lots of questions and, and, and awfully, always a hot topic with a capital raise are the terms of the deal rate. Um, I guess, could you just, how was the, how did you come about, was it, was it a 10 day volume weighted average price or, or, or what did you use to, how, how was the actual price of the, of the raise calculated or, or, or confirmed? Yeah, so, so typically what, what ends up happening is, is that um, you work off a range of factors and it depends on, on the behavior of the, of the share price and the lead up to, to that raise. So, you know, we had a pretty hard run uh, over the last month and particularly over the last two weeks. So with the, with the quantum of capital that we were raising, pretty, pretty big raise, 25 million, um, you know, particularly for a, essentially as an expiration play, you know, that's a large, large lift capital with, with, um, you know, that's not a, that's not a, a slam dunk. So there is that risk attached to it. Um, to execute a raise of this size required us to bring in institutional investors. So not, you know, not just high net worths, but actual funds to, to come in and cornerstone. So when they look at, at a share price that's run hard, um, hard like that, particularly with ours and what it did in the, in, in, in the previous few days, there's a little bit of hesitance. And so with those metrics of last close price, five-day VWAP, 10-day VWAP, 20-day VWAP, um, what's taken is in the lower range of those. So, um, so that's end up, ended up on the, on, on the pricing of the raise. I think probably also what wasn't in our, in our favor is the volatility of the markets at the moment. So there's a lot of risk of appetite from, um, from the funds. Uh, because of what we, the, the, you know, we've seen it this week, um, you know, a bit of a sell-off, and then coupled with with an, a high-risk expiration play, and the, you know, the risk um, premium that that goes on that as well. So to bring in those quantums of capital, we need the institutions for the institutions to play. You've got to offer them a discount because if you know to try and go and buy buy that stock on market, um, they can't do it. Um, and so in, in those sort of quantums and for them to 
you know, some of them wrote out $5 million checks for this, you know, so, so for that, we're not talking about, you know, a five or, or, or 10 or 50 grand on market purchase. It, it's, it's quite a significant uh, amount. So those funds then typically set the pricing to do it, to, to, to underpin it. And with the, the hesitancy in the market at the moment, they're a little bit like lemmings. As soon as one goes and, and it's set, then they, then they all go. Um, you know, so from the, from the structure of the raise, you know, obviously, um, you know, it's not thrilling um, on our end, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. But once we made the decision to go and solve risk this, essentially you're then swimming naked because you've then got to go out and execute that raise for that amount of money. And if you don't fulfill it and you've let everyone know that you're going to raise and then you can't fill it, then you've got a real problem. Um, Cause then you've got no farm and partner and no money. And so the structure of the, of the capital raise had had to be sufficient that we would get the, the demand and get it filled. And you don't want to fill a book, you know, to go out for 25 mil and get 27, because a lot of those are, are soft bids and some of them fall away. So you've got to ensure that, that there's enough demand and appetite for it. Um, and unfortunately, that does, does mean having to, to, to um, do these at, at a discount and, and with those kind of structures. So from a retail shareholder point of view, I absolutely understand why people are frustrated because um, we haven't been able to offer the same terms. And that's not us doing it. That's just what how the corporation's law works here. You can only offer those type of raisings. We had to, when we, when we decided to do the solar raising, we've got to execute it quickly. Because if it drags out, um, you know, that's in no one's interest because typically deals that are dragging out mean that you're having problems raising the money. And so we, we needed to strike quickly, make sure that we could get the quantum of funding that we needed and, and support and, um, and make sure that we, when we went out for it, that it was going to get filled um, and that we had everything that was required. So leaning on to the why couldn't we offer retail the same amount? That comes down to a number of factors. So firstly, the, the timing of it. Um, again, I mentioned earlier, we were hoping to have the this additional acreage locked away before that. So we had enough time and enough lead up that we could that we could do it on similar terms. You know, we had tremendous support from our share purchase plan that we had in, in January that we launched. I don't, I've never seen a share purchase plan that's been swallowed like that. Um, it was, um, you know, and I, had, and I had a lot of emails and I answered all of them um, about, you know, we should have seen the demand coming and, you know, honestly um, looking at, and we, and we based it on conversations with our solicitor, um, with the brokers on, on the structure of the share purchase plan and looking at some of the other ones that oil companies had done previously, you know, some of them had done one and a half million. It took them four weeks to fill and they had to set up multiple reminders. Um, you know, some had, and some had done three mil that didn't get filled and there's a shortfall after four weeks. So when we, you know, we did first come first serve expecting it to get filled, maybe a little early would have been, you know, two weeks, maybe particularly because it was over the Christmas, Christmas break when, when things kicked off. 
Um, but it, it, we, we, we were just blown away at the, at the support that we had. And it actually took us um, completely uh, off guard and on the back foot. Um, when Link phoned us after the first 24 hours and said, you know, we've had nearly 3 million come in. Um, and that was as of stuff that had been cleared the last, you know, previous night. So coupled with that, we've already done a share purchase plan this year and you, you can do an SPP um, one in every 12 month period for up to $30,000. So that meant, um, that meant that that had already been ticked off. And then a rights issue to kick that off now this close to drilling meant that that would have had to been open um, through the drilling period, which puts people in a in a difficult position. Um, so, ultimately, to to bring in the quantum of capital that we needed, this is the type of raise that we needed to execute. So, but I understand why retail shareholders are are frustrated. This is unfortunately how the Corps Act laws. It's not fair, you know. I'll, 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 um, this, this is stacked against, um, you know, these kind of scenarios, um, do, do, do jeopardize retail shareholders and, 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 and the support that they show for companies. But unfortunately that's how we have to, to work within, within the framework that we're in as a, as an ASX company. So. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that. I, I, I will. I mean, I have a couple of comments that, and then maybe I'll, I'll return to try to have some questions. So, I mean, I think essentially you've provided your answer, which I think is there's 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 reason. It's there's a reasonable uh, logic behind it, right? I mean, uh, that that pre-revenue explorers you live and die by by financings, right? So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, speaking as a retail investor, the, all I can ever do is trust that that you're a, a good steward of of the share of the stock and of the of the float, right? That you don't provide needless dilution, um, knowing that you will constantly have to dilute because that's how you stay alive, right? I mean, what's the alternative? You don't finance and then you just go home and it's all over, right? So I, I do understand that. Um, I guess, what, I guess there's a, maybe it's a two-part thing and, and I'm, anyway, I'm asking this just because there's a lot of interest in people to hear from you. And I, and I do appreciate you, you know, taking, taking this on the chin a little bit, I guess, right? But the terms were, and I can your, your logic was generous terms uh, provides that that re, the rapidity of response that you need to to get it done prior to sputting and, and right that, that 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 was your logic that's is that a fair yeah and 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 look I the op, the, the attaching options at a one for one is not ideal um, it, it 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 was a tough market period over the last few months. Um, this is this is a high risk play, you know. It would be un, under that category, and so to, and also the the runway that we have of completing the raise and, and then getting to results is also quite quite short. So there's a number of factors that that played into that. Obviously, you know, for me being the largest shareholder, I do not want to dilute myself any more than mm -hmm. I absolutely have to because I've got the most out of anyone to gain out of this, most to lose too. Um, you know, so I've had a lot of comments to saying, you know, you're just, um, you know, giving cheap shares to your mates, they're, they're not our friends, they're investors. Um, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm, I'm handing 
um, you know, handing this over to to mates who are getting set to the, you know, for for you know, 10, 50 grand how to to get um, to get a cheap seat um, in a in a in a small little raise. This is a this is a big raise. Um, and it's in a, you know, the jurisdiction also plays a factor in that. Bringing in North American investors uh, into something in Zimbabwe, um, you know, that's also a factor. So, um, yeah, I, I accept the criticism. It's it's not, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we needed to make sure that that we we were putting ourselves in a position to get these two wells drilled. And that's the most important thing because that's where the value is going to come from for the company is making discoveries. And the only way that we can do that is if we're funded. Um, ultimately, that one-for-one oppie is only going to come into play in a success case scenario. So, you know, if you look at the initial dilution, it's 12.5% roughly for that, for that 25 million. And if we are successful, that's going to bring in another $40 million into the company, pray for our play, uh, pay for our appraisal campaign. And, um, you know, for, for a, a little bit more dilution. Yeah, I get it. It's not ideal, but everyone's going to be smiling if it, if it comes in and people are exercising these oppies because that means that we've had some success and that, is ultimately what's going to what's going to drive the value of this company. And after that, once it's de-risked, those further fundraising conversations are very different. Again, because we've taken the risk off the table. At the moment, there's still a lot of residual risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, negotiating from a position of strength is always, always, obviously preferable, right? And I, I think, yeah, it's a point well made, right? That the, there's still a lot of risk. That, well, if you're an institution, you're going to want to the discount based on that right um i guess maybe just following up on what you just said uh you know let's say discovery one two doesn't matter right let's say we you know when in six months we meet again and 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 invictus has commercial uh, commercial oil what does that next raise look like i mean what what is what is the next round where, where is your money coming from at that point are you uh, look i've got i've as i said that'll depend on on the path that we that we choose so that'll either be self-funding some further appraisal um with um or or, or additional base and margin prospects um shooting some shooting some um some additional seismic data in the east chat to go and mature those um those leads because those are pretty exciting shooting some 3d across the space and margin um also probably across makuyu and then um yeah, so it's it's going to be a combination probably of whatever money comes in from option conversions, um, and then um, also you're looking at much you know much slimmer um, raises post that, and, and the dilution effect. If we you know if we're successful at, at either of these, you know we'll be a billion dollar company, mm. and so going to raise twenty or thirty million for you know, for an appraisal campaign, you know, that comes at a much, much lower yeah. dilution rate. Uh, plus we'll have option conversions, I'm, I've got no doubt. So that means, you know, that that dilution post then, and we've seen it with Recon Africa, you know, with their, with their program. So 
you know, initially they did 25 million for, for those three wells. They only ended up drilling, drilling two, but they had some, some options that were exercised. The great thing there is they've got, you can accelerate the, the expiry date of those. So you can force people to, to convert earlier. Um, whereas the ASX doesn't allow that. Um, but that brought in a lot of money to, for them. And then they did a $70 million raise and, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's had, um, had very little impact on the overall, you know, share count because you, you know, you're raising from a huge market cap and raising for onshore expiration, relatively small amounts of money. So, um, yeah, again, I think in the future, those are, those are great problems to have. Just two, two small topics left here. Um, just some questions about monetization and I guess the, the calendar to, uh, to which that would be achieved, of course, given the mm -hmm. hypothetical, given the hypothetical that there's a declaration here in the coming weeks. Um, you know, we've Dr. Stuart Lake, right? He's, he's talked about six months timeframes. I mean, is that realistic? What's, what is a realistic expectation here after the declaration for a turnaround time? And I mean, obviously there's a large difference between, you know, a few trucks servicing a couple of wells uh, and, yeah. and taking it and, and building pipelines, et cetera. But I mean, what, what's, could you just, yeah, again, just, just discuss, timelines and, and realistic expectations, I guess, right? Sure. So so from a from a monetization point of view, obviously it depends on what, what's discovered, oil or gas, um, whether or not it is um, and, and and the depth, the composition of it, whether it's got any any impurities in it, that that really depends on that on that pathway. From a from a practical perspective though, um, from a liquid from a liquid sense condensated oil that's really easy to monetize because we can we can just strip it um, in condensate case and then truck it to the port to to Bara and um, and export it from there because we'll you know you've, you've got international buyers then that'll that'll take it gas though um, you know what we'll look at there from an early early monetization point of view is probably some small scale gas to power uh, where we can do that on site. You've got modular, um, you know, you've got modular um, small scale gas to power units that you can buy now off the shelf. You know, it's not complicated um, stuff. We've got um, just on the back side of the escarpment here, um, a mine called Eureka, uh, who've gone into, they've, they've, they've resuscitated a mine, gone into production. You know, they, they burn a lot of diesel, they, um, and, and, and so, you know, doing a short little run up here and then we're into the grid um, as well. Um, there is electricity down in the valley here already. Um, and we, it's probably a little bit, little bit small in terms of its, um, of its immediacy of who would take it, but we could get it out of the valley then and, and into customers further down, uh, further south of us. So that would be the initial, you know, the initial kind of monetization route for us. Um, in terms of a time frame, we'd probably look at that implementing it post appraisal. So post, and, and then you're, you're working off doing an extended well test. And that is for a few reasons. One, you can generate some early revenue um, by implementing those sort of schemes. But two, you get a lot of early production data from your, from your reservoirs, which is hugely valuable then um, planning your full field development because you can get some really useful 
dynamic reservoir information that'll tell you, you know, more that more so than the pebble in the in the pool uh, example that I that I gave you earlier. Um, I'm use that one. Yeah. Um, you then. Um, you know, you're getting much, much. You're getting information because you're withdrawing more volume. You're getting information from much further afield, and you can, you can firm up your your minimum connected volumes. Whether you're seeing um, any connectivity across any faults, um, you know, your long term reservoir performance. So those are really useful um, bits of information that um, that you get from these early pilot schemes. And we did it at at Wyatia, which was um, which was great, and it really helped us optimize that. That development so that you're not drilling unnecessary uh, development wells as well because you're, you're, you're optimizing your well count and, and placing of them. So I would say, you know, in a, in a all things going well from a revenue perspective, um, maybe the back end of next year. For sincere, yeah, for sincere revenue generation starting to occur. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, now, two and so one. One very brief. Two questions left. One is is hopefully brief. Is I appreciate your time, but where we're obviously starting to stretch here, and I need to respect that. Um, and then the second one maybe is slightly longer, but still I think is still relatively short. But uh, confirmation of spud date. Can you just is there a timeline or a date that you can kind of circle the calendar for us? <laughs> sure. It's been a bit of a bit of a moving feast. Um, <laughs> With, with this maintenance program and, and, and Baker. Um, so the latest I've got, so we're waiting on a, on a control uh, a control loop for the top drive um, to come out of Poland and they had to go and send that back for, well, it got to the airport and they realized it hadn't been programmed. So it had to go back and get programmed. <laughs> so, uh, which I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that that happened before, before it came out because, um, you know, there's not much good if, if you can't can't operate your top drive. So um, we're probably looking at early first, early second week of September, I should say. Not good. Thank but, you for the. Oh, sorry, continue. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So yeah, not. Um, yeah, we're we're probably a week or ten days out. Thank you. Tops. Yeah. And then I guess we'll, we'll end with this because honestly, and this is, I, I agree here that, that, you know, you, you spoke about carbon capture in the carbon project. And I think that honestly, it kind of went over people's heads in our previous conversation that I'm not sure if people kind of, I mean, obviously are very early days and very kind of speculative and hypothetical at this point, but I mean, massive, massive potential value there. Um, could you just briefly just reiterate for for people here that just the the monetary benefits of the revenue generation potential of the carbon project? Just one more time for us. Sure. So, and and and, and I think maybe going back to the trove, um, one of the other comments is why are they bring in a carbon capture project now. Um, we we've been at, uh, probably start off with whether you like it or not and whether you even believe in it or not that this has become a, a, an investment criteria to have some kind of carbon neutrality plan yeah. now there's 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 two there's two ways you can go about it as a company you can either go out and try and um, generate your own source of credits or, or emissions um, mitigation measures, 
or you can go out onto the open market and buy offsets. So if you're going out to the open market and you're buying offsets, that's a cost to you as a company to get to that carbon neutral plan. If you are generating your own, obviously that then becomes um, cost neutral because you're not having to buy them. It's still a cost to you in a certain extent, or it's gonna be um, a positive if you're, if you're in the position where you're generating excess credits that you're not having then to go out and buy. So on the self, um, on the self-management or self-generating aspect of it, you've got two, again, two options. You've got either offset generation or you've got um, carbon capture and storage. Now, we're of the view, and I've, you know, I've done a little bit of CCS stuff in my in my time in a in a in a previous life. Um, it's hard. Number one, you've got to have the right reservoirs. You've got to have, be in the right location. It's got to be proximal. You've got to pipe it. Um, the legislation's uncertain for the storage. I'm just talking about Australia here. But you've got companies like Chevron who've been doing it in Barrow Island. Barrow Island's a really well understood uh, reservoir. They've been producing oil there for decades. They're just winding it up now. They've had hundreds of wells drilled in there. They know what the stratigraphy is like. They know what the reservoir is like. The problem with carbon capture and storage, in my opinion, and again, there are people much smarter than me who will have opinions on this. This is just our view, our internal view, that Chevron have battled with their project from a carbon capture and storage perspective. And if a company like as big as Chevron with the people that they have and the resources at their disposal, if they have trouble getting it right, then we've got no hope in doing it. So for us, it was pointing us down the, the, the offset route. Um, and I really got the idea from when we're doing our EIA, we've got a, a there's another Red Plus project, one that's been around for 10 years now. It's one of the largest in the world, Kariba Red, that comes into our license area. Uh, through here, and we had to do some some work with them when we we're doing our, our consultation process because we have to consult with all the stakeholders in our in our license um, area and, and the communities that we're working in. Didn't understand it at first, and then when E and I started to pick up some of these Red Plus projects in Zambia and elsewhere, the penny dropped. And I was like, Ah, okay, I see what these projects are about. I didn't really understand them before. Probably much a lot like people haven't picked up with our announcements, but really what they are about is. Um, reducing um, environmental degradation and deforestation because existing forests capture more CO2 and sequester more carbon than planting new trees because they take a long time to mature. And so by preserving existing forests, you're doing more for the carbon sinks than um, the existing ones than letting them be destroyed. So. This, this Red Plus project is a framework developed by the UN to incentivize the preservation of those existing forests. And by doing that, you generate carbon credits, which then provide revenue to implement the projects that will preserve those forests. So the setting up of these projects, um, and really it's it's changed because the carbon credit pricing now has really taken off. The, you know, before they were they were relatively marginal when, when carbon offsets were trading in the you know sort of sub one dollar kind of realm and now they're you know 10 
10 to 20, depending on the vintage, the quality of them, the, the type of project that you have. In Europe, they're trading hands at 50 or 60, and in Australia, you know, 40 to $60. So um, the cost of implementing them versus the impact that you have and the credits that they generate are now very, very different compared to when these, these projects first started out. So, and, and the pricing of them is gonna get more and more expensive because as we get closer to 2030, where a lot of these um, emissions pledges from companies that are all you know, trying to reach net zero 2030 or 2050, the demand for credits is gonna go through the roof as companies have to go to the market and source credits. So we, we saw this um, as an opportunity when, when we saw the, the tender come up for these projects for us to not only have our own homegrown solution for a carbon offset project in Zimbabwe, it's local. We're not, you know, we're not outsourcing the problem elsewhere like a lot of big companies are, you know, in are doing it in Zambia and the Congo and, and, and elsewhere. We're doing it here. It's having impact in, in the country that we're working in. It's going to allow us to generate excess credits, um, you know, that we can sell on the voluntary market and really run it as a separate business arm to, to the oil and gas side. Um, but the risk was also now that the requirement to be carbon neutral for funding criteria, particularly in a development sense for some of these big multilateral institutions like the Africa Development Bank, like the Africa Finance Corporation, who are going to provide a lot of the funding for this development. They need to see that you have a plan that will allow, um, allow them to, you know, to, to certify that, right, Invictus has got an offset plan. They've got a plan for their emissions. Under our criteria, we are now allowed to, to lend money to them, regardless of the merits of your project and the, and the commercial aspects of it. This has now become one of these requirements. So we could have sat and waited until we made a discovery, then go out and try and source something. We would have lost the opportunity to get these projects. And then you're stuck and you're buying credits on the open market. And then you're imposing a huge cost on your business and this is what companies are going to start to face so one it makes our project more attractive from a finance point of view for multilateral institutions makes our product more attractive because they can buy a carbon offset and carbon neutral oil or gas you know that's a huge selling point um you know and then two we we're also having you know a positive impact not only in our local project area but elsewhere in the country so we saw this as a really nice um, integrated tie-up um, for us. And I think it's a fantastic project. It's going to be something that's going to generate um, a lot of money that we'll share with the Forestry Commission and also with, um, with the local communities that we're working in. So that's a win-win. Uh, Sonara is going to provide us with credits. That's not going to be a, a huge cost base for us, you know, very, very minimal. And it'll be offset by what we, you know, the, the, the excess that we're generating. Um, you know, so I think I think it's been a really smart move on our part to secure something this size that's material in terms of the number of credits it's going to generate. Um, you know, on a, on a smaller scale, if you look at what Cooper are doing, Cooper Oil and um, Cooper Energy, um, they're buying offsets for their soil field from projects like these. But um, you know, they've been fine till now. They're going to have to buy more as they expand. If we're successful and we find you know, what we think is, yeah, we're going to need a lot of credits. So, you know, that's a bigger and bigger oh, cost base yeah. for the business. So in terms of revenue, 
you know, if you the, these 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 things are produced on an annual basis once you're certified. Um, so we think this can produce upwards of of a million credits a year, and they're changing hands at the moment at you know sort of ten to twenty dollars, and predicted to go to eighty to to two hundred dollars by twenty thirty five as those um, carbon neutral pledges come in for for other companies that are going to be competing in the market to buy credits. So that's what's going to drive the price of them. Good. Yeah, thank you. Just another, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think on that note that maybe this is time for us to, yeah, just say thank you and, and, and say goodbye, I guess, right? It's been yeah, always, you're, you're a patient and well-spoken man and I appreciate both of those <laughs> qualities. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, thanks everybody for sticking around. It's still a pretty large audience here. Um, if everybody can, yeah, I please check out, uh, if I can just do a little plug for myself, uh, youtube.com slash junior resource investing. And you can see a bunch of videos there, including this one will be up toot sweet quite quickly. Um, and yeah, community investment server on discord. Otherwise, Scott, yeah. Uh, thank you for your time very much. Thank you. Matt, Mark, thanks. Thanks for having me once again. Always a pleasure. And, um, yeah, look, look forward. Hopefully the next one will be, um, you know, a very, a very, very different conversation. We'll be, we'll be discussing some well, well results. Don't do that. I can't do the interview again. That was a good dry run for your, um, for your one on Monday anyway. Seriously. Yeah, look, that, that one's, that one's more aimed at, um, at some of the, the institutional uh, invests as well because you know they're not looking out for for invites on um, on Discord servers and and that sort of thing. So it'll, um, I still don't even know what it is to be honest. Um, you'll, have, you'll have to explain that. You'll have to explain it to me someday. Kids tell me. And then some of our other um, holders who would have seen the you know the link details in the in the announcement and and not and not seen this. So it, it'll just be kind of re rehashing the presentation not really this long long form q a which um you know always happy to do and i think it's a great great format and, and you know pleased with obviously there's a lot of a lot of questions and, and a lot of interest so really grateful to you know to all of our shareholders um you know for their interest for their support understand some of their frustrations with the with the raise um but look that that'll that'll be a distant memory for everyone um in a in a success case and um, you know, we'll we'll um, now we've got to go and execute our, our drilling program. We've got you know two wells, really exciting. Um, didn't ever think that you know we 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 would be in this sort of position. So really, really pleased on um, on that front, and and looking forward to um, to getting started and um, you know and and providing results. Um, you know when when we get the um, when we get the definitive data, obviously, if we get some some early, really positive signs, um, you know that are that are unequivocal, then um, then we'll be be making releases. But but otherwise, then you know, for for people who are are nervous about not seeing shows or anything, you know, that's not the that's not the be all and end all. We're not out there for shows. We're out there for reservoirs, discoveries, movable hydrocarbons to, to surface. And that is the definition of discovery, bringing hydrocarbons to the surface. And that's what we, we're going out there to do. Not, you know, not some shows over the shakers. So um, we set out our, our, our evaluation plan to do that, not to have, you know, just, just 
just a couple of minor shows. So, and try and generate some excitement and then nothing happens and, and, and people are, you know, there's too many junior companies to do that. That's, that's not Mm -hmm. Mm our operandi. So yeah, it's um, exciting period. Um, And yeah, look, look, look forward. Hopefully the next one will, will be, um, will be out at the well site. If, um, if the timing of where I think things are going to be work up, then, um, then yeah, we can do, do one from live in the, at, at, at Makuyu one. Oh, that sounds always... that sounds excellent. Maybe <laughs> we can uh, com- we'll, we can compare our favorite champagne labels and maybe two there, eh? So well, it's a it's a it's a dry site, so I'll be <laughs> uh, no no um you know it's pretty pretty restricted. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there'll, there'll be plenty of time for that. Perfect. Thanks okay. again, Scott. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jess. Cheers. Cheers, Scott. Take, take care.